Welcome to the No Nonsense Anti-Racism Podcast. I am really excited to have a speaker joining me on the episode today. Andre Brown is an expert facilitator, well-versed in creating an atmosphere of respectful conversations around challenging topics, including race. For nearly 30 years, he has assisted a diverse population to improve their lives, most recently as a clinical training specialist for the Rhode Island Department of Children, Youth, and Families. Here, he developed essential trainings, including cultural competence, and child welfare through self-awareness, the impact of implicit bias, and understanding and implementing cultural competence. Starting last year, Andre created an organization called Racial Just Us, a division of Jump Street Coaching, as a way to create actionable, meaningful racial change. This also combines his experience as a trainer and an international coaching federation certified coach. Andre and I connected over email. He was introduced to the podcast by his wife, working in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space. This is a topic close and dear to his heart. So I was really glad that Andre could make some time to chat with us. As we were talking as well, it just was really interesting to hear uh, about how he started his organization um, last year, Racial Justice, in the wake of what was happening in the United States with Black Lives Matter and the uh, response to the murder of George Floyd. And like myself, he was just so sick and tired of the, the constant the discrimination, the racism, the blatant anti-black racism, and really wanted to be a part of the change. So uh, that's how Racial Justice was created. And similar to the No Nonsense Anti-Racism podcast, that's how this came up. It was really in the wake of everything happening last year with George Floyd, where I thought, how do I, how do I, how do I become a part of the change uh, instead of just, like, how, does, how do I catalyze and use my anger and frustration and... all of the feelings that I'm feeling into something productive that I think could really give back in a way that is meaningful, in a way that really honors George Floyd, but also all of the other people of color who have been killed by police, but also who suffer from systemic and um, systemic racism on a daily basis. So was really interested to chat with him to hear more about his experience and his experience growing up um, as a black man in the United States of America. So I hope you all enjoy. Hi, everyone. I am so happy to have a wonderful guest on speaking with me today. His name is Andre Brown. Hi, Andre. Hi, Nora. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be a part of the podcast. Yes, happy to have you. Um, Andre, I did just read your bio, but would love to hear a little bit about yourself in your own words. So can you tell our our listeners a little bit about you? Sure. Uh, My name is Andre Brown, and I live in Miami, Florida with my wife. I think one of the main things that I'd like people to know is that I am I, like, I love people. I really do. And during the course of my career, most of my work has been around helping to empower people and especially those people from disadvantaged backgrounds, low socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, for many years, I worked for the state of Rhode Island. I worked at the department of children, youth and families, and I, My last role was a a trainer. And during that role, I I would develop training. I would also uh, develop programs. And 
worked with with people who were in the process or or in transition into the department. So I worked with a lot of social workers and people who did work with people from disadvantaged backgrounds. Our work there was really about helping people who were who were open to the department because of family issues and those types of things. And you know, it's that work in a, in a lot of ways is really difficult because you're talking about people who have a lot of problems, who have a lot of issues that they're dealing with. And the biggest or the, the, the biggest role that I had was to prepare those workers so that they were able to, to uh, work with families. Sounds great. And it's not an easy job, I can imagine, but probably quite fulfilling to be able to, to be able to give back to the community in, in a way that you know and you can probably see is really benefiting people on a, on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, just in, in terms of the, the work that I'm doing now, it's really about um, continuing that. And, you know, and, and, and my work in social justice is really about uh, helping people in a, in a different way. It's just like I've transitioned to a, to a different role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds great. So similarly to me with the No Nonsense Anti-Racism podcast, you were inspired to create your organization called Racial Justice last year in the wake of the Black Lives Matter movement uh, for George Floyd. What was your experience like during last year's protests? It, it, was, in a, it was a time that really shook the world and, and um, it changed the world essentially for, for, I hope, for the better. We're working on it. We're continuously um, improving, but it was a really momentous thing to happen last year. So can you share what your experience was like? Sure. Uh, I mean, I think w- w- like a lot of people, like most of us, we had a lot of different emotions going and I had a lot of different emotions going. I was, you know, I was angry. I was frustrated. Uh, I was, you know, I felt, you know, obviously felt sad and also felt like this sense of resignation. Like, you know, when is this going to stop? You know, like, it just felt like it, it was just another of a long series of incidents and situations that, that had been, uh, ha- had occurred. And so I was really trying to grasp what was happening. And, you know, I saw people out in the streets doing, doing protesting and, um, that to me didn't feel right at that point. And, and, but, but I wanted to do something that had some lasting impact. So that's what I ended up doing is, is, is really thinking about it in a conversation with my wife. And actually, ironically, with one of my coaching clients, I ended up thinking and, and, and started to conceive a program that was going to help people develop their own anti-racism program, or I should say their own anti-racism action plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a fantastic idea. So, I mean, as many of us, like you were angry, sad, and completely agree. Like it's, it's so many emotions at the same time. And you're like, I'm just sick of this. Like, how can I be a part of the change and how can I be a part of this movement towards positive change? So it's really great to hear that that's what's come out of this like really horrible situation of you saying, okay, I want to do something. How do I create additional ripples of impact? I think that's really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so like, you know, I've, I've been 
on this journey ever since then, you know, mm-hmm. like it, you know, I, I started creating it. And at the time I had a lot of free time because I, <laughs> I didn't have work. And so because of COVID, like I really didn't have a steady job. So that gave me the opportunity to really focus on developing this plan. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel, I feel pretty good about the results and, and the clients who've come through how, how that, how it's affected them. It's positively affected them. Mm-hmm. I wonder too, for you, I mean, uh, I've been reflecting on this a lot, especially since last year, but curious to hear your thoughts on it. Um, what felt different about George Floyd? Like last year's last year really was like a spark of change. Mm-hmm. What for you felt different from all the other black men and women who have been killed unjustly by police and systemic racism? It's a great question. I, I think first and foremost, it was just like the horrific way in which he died. I mean, when you saw saw the video or, you know, and obviously at this point, most of the world has seen the video. When you see it, it is just like heartbreaking to actually see that being like, like being shown like in front of you. And so for me, it was that, you know, like seeing that situation and then seeing people and their outrage, that really, those two things together really kind of fueled it for me. And I think that, you know, so George Floyd happened. And prior to that, it was, it was Breonna Taylor. It was Ahmaud Arbery. And it was, um, I'm trying to remember his name. Uh, I think his name is Christian Cooper in, yeah, uh, New York. In, mm-hmm. in New York in Central Park. And so you have all of these situations, all of these separate incidents that are happening over this period of time. And so I feel like it was almost like this. It was almost like, you know, for that short period of time, you know, the George Floyd uh, murder was like this breaking point. And so getting to that point and realizing, okay, what the hell are we going to do? What is going on here in this country? What what do we need to do to get people to understand that we have to make change? Mm -hmm. And so with those those emotions, those feelings, that's what really kind of triggered me. I was really, to be honest, inspired by all of the young people that were protesting. They were out in the streets. In addition to, you know, you know, having the pandemic going on, it didn't matter to them. They felt strongly enough that 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 they needed to be out there and getting their voices heard. So for me, that provided that much more inspiration for me to say, okay, well, what can I do? You know, like, what can I do instead of being in the streets? What can I do that's going to have a lasting impact over a long period of time? And, and that's basically where I started focusing my efforts. And, you know, once I started, it, it just felt like this, it's hard to describe, but it just felt like this, this, uh, this surge or this movement. So for the next few months, I was working on this. And that's all I did every day was work on this program that I felt would be helpful and that could help people uh, really create some type of action that they could take on their own. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was where I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I don't know what it was for me that felt different. Mm-hmm. Perhaps it was the video. Perhaps it was, it was so clear that he was not a threat to anyone. Um, and perhaps it was the length of time, like over eight minutes of this man's, of the cop's knee on his neck. Yeah, it was a mix of emotions for sure. And shock. A few of my colleagues and I, the day after when we came back to work, were just kind of numb. We we didn't want to work. We didn't want to. It was just really tough. Yeah, it was not just triggering, but traumatic to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, really proud to see how much action has come out of it. That So many young people out on the street and, and protesting and saying, like, no, no more. It's too mm-hmm. much. It's been mm-hmm. hundreds of years of systemic racism. Like we cannot continue to live like this. So it is really amazing that so much action can happen and then change can come from it. It's always nice to hear too how it's impacted other people and how um, changes come from how so many people like you are after that experience of saying like, what can I do? How can I be a part of the solution? Mm-hmm. Right, right, absolutely. And I, and I think also to your point, like I, I feel like for me, you know, I, I feel like this is where I'm supposed to be. You know, mm-hmm. like I said, mm-hmm. like I had done yeah. a lot of work with people. I had worked with a lot of different populations of people and I felt proud of the work that I did. Mm-hmm. But once this opportunity, you know, obviously, unfortunately, I wish it wasn't that type of an opportunity, but once it presented itself and I started, started down this path, I feel like this is what I'm supposed to do, that mm-hmm. the work that I'm doing here is what I'm supposed to do. I feel that my skills fit it. I feel that my interests in it fit it. And I feel like it feels good to me because I want to see people grow. I want to see them improve. I want to see racism eliminated. And I want to see people uh, be uh, come from out from under this like oppressive, this oppressive world. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I, I know that this is what I'm going to do, you know, moving forward. Yeah. Oh, that's really inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um, something we spoke about before, but also something that's um, that I hear a lot of, especially from folks who are not from Canada is that they're often surprised to hear about systemic racism in Canada and how these kind of conversations are important and, and are coming out of Canadian conversations um, is this true for you too? What is or was your perception of race and racism in Canada? Mm. Uh, to be honest, I was really surprised. You know, mm. like I, I have be, become more surprised as I listen to your podcast and I hear the work that you're doing and see and understand what's going on in Canada. Mm-hmm. The reality is, is that for me, like, and I think for a lot of Americans, but for me, Canada's always been seen as this warm, kind place that has a, you know, that accepts everyone. And where, uh, you know, you, you like I think about it and it's almost like a caricature in a way because, you know, you, the things that we, we know about Canada, you know, moose, um, uh, the Mounties and the red yep. jacket. <laughs> Igloos. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So there's all of these different things that kind of play into uh, our perceptions. But 
you know, obviously they're, 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 they're not true and they're, they're, they're false. And so, you know, my understanding has grown over, over time and, and realizing, wow, there is, you know, obviously Canada has had incidents of, uh, of racial violence and racial oppression, but in the United States, unless it's really, really extreme, you know, like the, the, the discovery of the children's bodies or the, the, the murders of, of, of innocent victims, those things, you know, like the, the, the intricacies and those things that happen in Canada that don't make the headlines are just, they're not there. And so yeah. we don't see that. And so for me, it's been, your work has really helped me to think and process information that I didn't really have before. Mm -hmm. And um, it's unfortunate to see that, you know, Canada has the same types of problems as the U.S. And, but it's not surprising, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's because of the way that the systems were set up, you, you know, yeah. originally when they, when the countries were, were uh, founded. Yeah, exactly. And it's really interesting too, because we do have this, sense of superiority in Canada of like, oh, we're not like the States because we never had slavery. Um, mm -hmm. So that makes us a little bit better. Our problems aren't as, as deeply embedded, but they absolutely are. We just don't talk about it or don't know about it. Um, right. For the Black History Month episodes that I had done, I learned so much about Black history in Canada that I had no idea about. I grew up in Canada, so went through the entire education system, K to 12, and we didn't talk about that. It wasn't something, it wasn't a part of our history classes or history lessons. Same thing with like indigenous, indigenous rights in Canada and um, the experience of residential schools and cultural genocide. So definitely is a part of our history that we don't like to talk about for, for many reasons. Um, and in some ways, the U.S. is definitely ahead of us in terms of like coming to terms with, with that. Of course, all at the all because of the work of, of the civil rights movement and black folks and black community. But we definitely have some work to do in Canada. But as you mentioned too, like it's a problem everywhere. This like, especially anti-black racism, the problem in mm -hmm. Europe, it's yeah. uh, they have a long history of colonization and the way it looks is different in other parts of the world, but anti-black racism is alive and well in Asia in Africa, it looks a little bit different, but it's there as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And I, and it's, it's, you know, like, I think, you know, since, ever since I started this work, like, you know, a year, year and a half ago, I've started to learn more about what's going on in, in, in different countries, and how it all ties together and how, you know, and I think it was one of your episodes, where you talked about how different non-white populations might be have a racist philosophy towards black people for one reason or another so it's 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 all a, a system that is just mm -hmm. like it's set up in such a horrible and destructive and effective way for so long and it's mm -hmm. just it's maddening how how it's it, you know you can see it every day especially if you if you if you open your eyes and look at the signs, mm -hmm. so it's 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 really um, like I said, it's really maddening to to understand how on how many levels 
we are being we're we're experiencing racism and discrimination in every facet of life, every single facet. And mm-hmm. so it's it's a nonstop ongoing process. So we just have to keep, you know, keep pushing forward and keep trying to educate people. Mm-hmm. I'm a big proponent of education as a way to tackle anti-racism. You're doing so much of it in your work. We've had a few episodes a few weeks ago, too, about uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion training and how that tackles systemic racism uh, within the workplaces. And as a trainer uh, for you, what are the most impactful methods that you've seen and are doing that you see a sparking change? So we talked about this kind of like ripple effect that um, racial justice has, but are there other ways that you're really seeing change happening? Yeah, absolutely. I, I have to say that, you know, like I said, I'm every day, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm learning. And that's my role is to continue to learn so that I can kind of help guide people in the right direction. And so when I work for the Department of Children, Youth and Families in Rhode Island, I would, would uh, develop trainings, put them together. And in, in a lot of cases, they were cultural competence trainings, um, implicit bias trainings, these types of things. And Having run them through through the, our staff, you know, we would have like a staff of say 600 people, and we'd have trainings for them to go through. And one of the big things that I've learned is that a lot of these traditional trainings, even the ones that I've done in the past, they don't work. They just don't work because a big part of it is the fact that we're forcing people to go to these trainings. And so if you're forcing somebody to do something, they're going to be resistant more more often than not. Mm -hmm. And so what I've learned is that if you're going to to do any type of efforts, DEI efforts, they need to be, they need to come from a different place. And so what I've started to do is really to push away from those old style trainings that essentially have been in, in service since the 60s. Mm-hmm. So you have trainings that have were were developed in the '60s, approaches that were developed in the '60s that just do not work, and and so we have a long history of of, of seeing that. But what does work is engaging people in a, in a voluntary process, and also if you're you know like when you're bringing people in and 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 having them be a part of the solution, they tend to be more open to accepting that information and open to being a part of it and, and learning. Mm-hmm. Some other things that I feel is, are helpful in the workplace is also to you know, create mentoring opportunities to connect with colleges and universities to set up a, a pipeline so people coming out are, are able to be brought forward in a way that's going to help to make a connection. People like to be People like to work with and promote people that they know. And mm-hmm. so by, by developing these relationships sooner in these different capacities, you're much more apt to have a, a workforce that's going to work cooperatively and you're going to have less racism. You're going to have less uh, oppression and, and those types of things in the worst workforce. Uh, obviously, you know, diversity managers have been a big thing especially in the last few years, it seems like every time you turn around, there's a, an ad for the diversity manager, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, 
And that's that's great. I mean, it's it's really good to have them because of a number of different reasons. But I think one of the best reasons is the fact that they provide an accountability structure to the organization. Mm-hmm. But within that, you know, they have to be given the power to be able to do certain things to affect change within the workplace. Some other things that I think might be helpful as well as within the within the process itself, if you have your workers there, it's important to have transparency in policies, pay scales, anything like that, anything that applies to everyone. It should apply to everyone, not just to certain people within the organization. Another is is also, you know, in a lot of cases, sometimes organizations have exams for people that are either coming in or being promoted to, to senior positions or, or, or other positions. And that can really be, that's one of those places that can really hurt people of color because they can be manipulated in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. So eliminating those types of things can, are, is, is something that can be uh, effective. Diversity task force, having groups that, like, th- that meet on a regular basis and tackle some of these issues or at least identify issues that might be uh, hurting the organization in terms of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So mm-hmm. those are just a few, I think, need to be or can be implemented with, with, with success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of really good pieces there. I really like the piece about mentorship that you mentioned, because this space can be really difficult for, for people doing this on their own. To speak about anti-racism on a daily basis or racism in general uh, is not easy. And to feel like you have a, a sense of community for, of others around you, especially to your point about people, especially coming right after uh, right out of university and college, is really, really helpful. I'd love to hear too, so you moved... Uh, we were chatting before about uh, your move from Rhode Island to Florida. It's a very different political atmosphere and environment, um, especially for Black folks. I don't know much about Rhode Island, but I do know Florida, um, especially from the news and and just uh, mostly politics. What has that move been like for you, for especially this kind of work that you're doing um, to be Coming from, I think, a little bit more safer, a little bit more progressive state to one that is a little bit less so, especially for Black folks in this work, what's that been like for you? Well, it's been a dramatic change. Mm -hmm. Uh, My wife and I decided, you know, a few years ago that we wanted to change. We live in Miami, which is probably one of the most progressive areas in the state. It's very, very diverse. And for the most part, we love it. You know, there's, there's culture, you know, all types of culture, and it's just a beautiful place to live. Um, the weather obviously is fantastic. But one of the things that's really been disappointing is the fact that the state, say the government, the legislature is really, really conservative. The governor is very conservative. Not only is he conservative, but he has... I don't like anybody who's familiar, I think would really look at this and agree is that he has autocratic tendencies. He's mm-hmm. very similar to, to uh, Donald Trump. He is essentially models himself after Trump. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the policies that he's, he's brought about or is 
behind is really about eliminating the rights of people. Right. Um, uh, earlier this year, he created this anti-rioting law that essentially is designed to keep people from protesting, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's really designed to keep them from assembling and protesting because the way that the law is written, it really uh, puts the onus on those people that are, that are gathering and it makes it easy for them to be, to be confronted by the police and to be disassembled, arrested, you have it. My belief is that this, this law is really designed to eliminate the coming together of groups of people who are people of color, allies, those types of groups that are, that are there to, to protest change. And it's, mm-hmm. and, and it's not really about the, the rioting, but I think that that is one of the, the policies that he's, he's uh, passed. Mm-hmm. And from my understanding, they are the, the, the law is being, but it's in, it's in the court of appeals, and so they're trying okay. to eliminate it or bring it or undo that that law. You know, there's been talk about critical race theory, and so there's a there's been a big movement on that front in terms of him coming out and saying that he doesn't want uh, critical race theory because it's detrimental to the kids, et cetera, et cetera. So there are a number of different policies that are disturbing and a number of different behaviors that this this governor has put in place in, in Florida. And so this is something that we have to look to because as I said earlier, I believe that at some point in the, in the near future, perhaps in the, during the next election cycle, he is going to run for presidency of the, of the United States. If he does, we're going to get a similar version, a mini me, so to speak, of... <laughs> of Donald Trump. We don't want that. When it comes to yeah. having, moving our country towards more a more anti-racist mindset, having this guy in office is going to be detrimental for sure. Mm-hmm. So as much as we've enjoyed Florida, that aspect of it has been disappointing and disturbing because it's, yeah. it's really been about eliminating and minimizing people's rights, people of color, eliminating those rights. The critical race theory discussions that are happening in the United States are so interesting to read about and listen to. And I just don't understand it. And I, and I, on the episode of cancel culture with the no nonsense team, we were chatting about it a little bit where unfortunately this like, it's become so political, like a certain party has latched onto it for political points and is forgetting that at the heart of it, it's just about teaching everyone that everyone should be treated the same. So why is this an issue? And education is is what we're doing. Like it is the way we are trying to, to inform people and it's we're doing it outside of the classroom. The classroom would be a fantastic way to, to teach kids about anti-racism um, and the fact that they, they just don't want to talk about it is so frustrating. Yeah, I think it's that they just don't want the truth out there. I mean, yeah. basically, when you're talking when you're talking about critical race theory, it's really kind of taking the shine off of the United States and what what how the United States was constructed from day one. It's really about saying that the way that we've done things have have been detrimental to groups of people and they've been detrimental and systemized from day one up until current time. And, mm-hmm. and so, as you said, it's, it's all political. It's really about it being a political 
issue. And this is what this governor has done is he's pandering to his his people who believe in keeping people of color below them and keeping them with as, as little as possible in, in terms of rights and a means to uh, live a, like a, a normal life. Yeah. So, you know, the, the philosophies are sound. It's just that, that, yeah. was, that, that that's the truth, you know? Yeah. So this, that's something that we definitely have to, uh, we have to fight here. And I would imagine in, in Canada as well. Mm-hmm. Luckily, we are not having these kind of fierce debates that you guys are down in the States, but it is it is so interesting to watch. Frustratingly interesting. So really do appreciate like the education that, that you and others are doing on a daily basis, combating this kind of like systemic disbelief and, and attempt to, to say that racism doesn't exist. But if you're not afraid of racism, then let's talk about it. Let's Let's have a frank discussion about it. If it's not a, if it's not an issue, so frustrated. I could talk about this for hours. (laughs) 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 Talking about this topic of racism and anti-racism can often be really demoralizing, especially when you're talking about it all the time. (laughs) Uh, So I'd like to hear what other people think about this, but what keeps you going in this work? What makes you hopeful? I think that I think the biggest thing is is that like in the the, the work that I've done, I've seen people change. Mm. I've seen them change. I've seen them grow. It's not like they go from zero to a hundred in, in two minutes, but you can mm. see the progression, and you can see that by engaging people, by having intelligent conversation, by having open dialogue, that that people can change. And so that's been a big uh, marker for me. Also, the fact that, as I was saying earlier, like this, like I almost, I feel like in a way that I've stumbled into this field. And mm-hmm. so, like with that in mind, I feel like, like once I once I really started to dig in, it really played to me as a person and played to my interests and my passion for helping people. But also as a as, as a, a black male, it's helped me empower myself so that, that I have the ability to to affect change based on what I what I'm capable of doing. And so that feels good. Given that, it's it's also a situation where the work can, as you said, can be really, really challenging, really, really difficult, really draining. And for me, what I have to do and and this is always because I am so like, I love to learn and I'm so uh, interested in knowing more, you know, absorbing more information. I have to really like manage myself. And so mm-hmm. what I do, like, in addition, like I, I, I'm a photographer, I, I love art, I love live music. So those types of things, I love to garden. So those things, are also part of my life. And so when things get a little too hectic, what I try to do is, is to make sure that I turn to those areas to kind of restore myself. And that's, that's been helpful. It's been really, really helpful. Taking that time has really kind of balanced my life out and, and helped me to say, okay, now I can get back to work. I can do the work that I love. And the more I do and the more I see people change and see people grow. Uh, it, it just continues to get better for me. Mm-hmm. That's so nice to hear. That makes me hopeful. 
(laughs) I do this and I put the podcast out and then people kind of absorb it as they do. But so I don't necessarily go along the journey with them in the same way that you are. So it's really nice to hear that you are seeing and feeling a change uh, and seeing Mm -hmm. that self-awareness in people um, over a sustained amount of time, because that could be the opposite could happen and it could be really tough to engage with and to find purpose to continue. But it sounds like you are finding that, which is really, really nice to hear. And to your point too, with like a black man, and I don't know if you've experienced this. I've definitely experienced this and in conversing about anti-racism with people, but for people to like continue to deny that racism is a problem, like to your face, to say that your experiences with, with racism are like imagined that they kind of gaslight you to think that it didn't happen the way it actually did sometimes has made me question like should I do this like am I actually changing minds and changing hearts it is it's exhausting it's emotional it's labor it's emotional labor from us Mm. and from people of Mm -hmm. color who like we have to experience it and then we have to educate on top of it it's a lot it's a lot to 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 manage you're right you're absolutely right and it's that's a good point Uh, what I've noticed you know, in a lot of cases, going back to when I was a child, growing up in a predominantly white area, white neighborhood, white town, is that I would have a lot of kids ask me questions, touch my hair, touch my skin, those types of things. Obviously, as I got older, that that kind of fell away. But there were still situations where people would because of their lack of understanding, their ignorance would ask questions that were like pretty ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And so I, I get, and I understand, especially people of color who have had to deal with like a lot of these types of, or microaggressions or what have you, or having to educate their friends and those types of things. And it can be, really draining and really tiring. I think for me, like, and I can appreciate that. And I, and I respect those people who decide, Hey, I've had enough. I'm tired of educating white people or educating this one over here or this one. And so what I have attempted to do in, in like the the work that I've done is to give people and most of the people not all everyone but most of the people who come to me for DEI work focus work are white and what I try to do is to provide a safe space for them to be able to ask these questions you know ask questions that you know might seem foolish on the surface but are are things that they really are intrigued about knowing and some of them are very very simple but some of these questions can become deep. And, and, mm-hmm. and so I welcome those types of situations because what it's doing is helping to educate people and hopefully down the line, it's going to have impact on how they treat other people. Mm. And so when it comes to people asking me questions, I welcome that. I mean, like I, I am a black male who welcomes people who want to gain understanding. And I'm not saying that I know everything and that I am an expert at everything, but I do feel I have a good understanding of what's happening. And I understand that people are people. And not everybody understands that people are people. Some, a lot of people real think that 
that because someone is black or Asian or whatever, regardless of where they come from, they think that there's there's some kind of different species of people. (laughs) It's absolutely ridiculous, you know, but these are the types of things that we have to that we have to work through. Unfortunately, I, again, am glad to be in a position where I can be of service and, and be there to help people to eliminate this, this racist uh, mindset and hopefully move towards anti-racism. Yeah. Thank you for doing that work because it isn't easy. Well, thank you. Thank you. And I know like I, I've, I've told you earlier in the podcast, but the work that you're doing is amazing and, and it's needed, you know, because there's no, I don't see anybody else out there like you like doing work and you're doing work in Canada and you are exposing the issues, the problems that the the country is experiencing. And so you're doing great work. So I applaud you for that. Thank you. Yes. The work we do sometimes is kind of thankless. I appreciate your support for sure. Thank you, Andre, so much for for chatting with me today. It's been so wonderful to hear about the work you're doing and your experience and continue to fight the good fight. Well, well, thank you as well. And, And thanks again for having me on the show. It was great to have Andre join us on the podcast. If you would like to learn more about Racial Justice, the organization that he runs, we are going to include all of the links to the website and the ways that you can get in touch with Andre. For anyone who is interested in participating, Andre hosts a series of monthly coaching sessions, sessions for community anti-racism, and his next one will be happening in September. So do reach out and let him know if you're interested in participating. Let him know that you heard about him from the Nona nonsense anti-racism podcast also get in touch with us at the no nonsense podcast on instagram through email and we're now on twitter too please continue to show your love and support by writing us a review wherever you get your podcasts in particular it's really helpful for those of you who could write reviews on apple and google that would be fantastic see you next week bye